Welcome to Energy Matters, where we explore alternative health in the Pioneer Valley. I'm your host, Caroline Rutterman, and I'm a Reiki professional and intuitive in Northampton, Massachusetts. For the past nine years, I've been teaching people how to use their intuition and helping them reduce stress and anxiety. Together, we'll talk with other practitioners and learn how they bring health and healing to the Pioneer Valley. Let's do this. Hey, welcome, welcome, everyone. You are listening to Energy Matters, and I am your host, Caroline Rutterman. And we are here today um, chatting with Emily Fox, who is a local dance instructor. Uh, So welcome, Emily. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me here. Of course. Um, so, So tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Okay. Well, my name is Emily Fox, and I've been teaching social dance in the Pioneer Valley for about 15 years now, and I teach at my own studio in Florence, and then I've taught publicly at a lot of uh, places, Greenfield Community College, Smith Vogue has an adult ed division, I teach at senior centers, I've taught waltz at the Hartsbrook School for, gosh, 15 years now, and Dance Northampton, and way back in the day at Paradise Dance Studio when that was still open. And then a few years ago, I opened Emily Foxtrot, where I work with people who are getting married and their family members, uh, helping people get ready for dancing at weddings. So sometimes people just want to buff up a basic sway so it's got a little more smoothness and pizzazz. And other people want to go all out and learn a big memorized routine. And so I work with them with whatever it is that they're hoping to accomplish. And, and when you say that you, um, you teach social dancing, um, can, what, what is social dancing? What does, that, what does that mean? Yeah, that is a great question. So social dancing means you are dancing with a partner and it's a dance situation where people have learned a series of steps or styles of connecting with each other. So you could just go up to anybody who knows the other role or two people who, you know, have an agreement, who's going to lead, who's going to follow. And without having any choreography, you dance together because you've learned enough to know how to do that. And it's different from competitive dancing because this kind of dancing can get very fancy with costumes and competitions and judges. And it's not like that at all. This is a much more low-key, strictly for pleasure kind of situation. That makes a lot of sense. And so, is that? Um, and so, what are some examples of different types of social da- um, social dancing that people might might be familiar with or have never heard before? Oh, okay. So the basics that a lot of people are familiar with are the ballroom dances of waltz and foxtrot. And then there's swing dancing, which is broken down into a couple of categories. There's what's called East Coast Swing, which some people might be familiar with as Jitterbug. And then there's West Coast Swing, which is incredibly popular in the dance world. But people who are not dance dancers have never heard of it before. So it's it's kind of hiding in plain sight. It's an amazing dance. Yeah, I and remember then, when I lived in uh, in Washington D.C. There, uh, there was a oh, really huge yeah. West Coast swing uh, community down there, and I remember like I didn't know that many people, so I went to a few of the dances, and it was a lot of fun because they would do a lesson and then have the the kind of community dance afterwards, and it was so fun. It was it was a blast. Yes. I I have to say, 
if you want, you know, once COVID has been resolved and we're back to somewhat of a more normal life, going out, social dancing, taking a lesson and meeting people at the dances is an amazing way to expand your social circle. And it's a really nice uh, contrast to most of what we do in our culture is verbal. You get together with people and talk, talk, talk. And here you can learn a lot about a person and get to know them without talking at all and just by dancing with them, which is a really nice uh, alternative. Right. Because I feel like you learn a lot from people from, you know, watching their movements and, and even like touching that, you know, it doesn't have to necessarily touch doesn't necessarily have to be um, like a sexual touch, but just just that like, you know, connection from one person to the next, you really can like feel a lot about who they are from that movement. Yes, that's very true. Just how people connect with their hands, how much fluidity, how much rigidity, how much um, uh, sensitivity somebody has in their hands, you learn a tremendous amount. Yeah. Um, Going back to your question, some of the other dances, there's a category called Latin dance. And so a lot of people have heard of salsa, which is a pretty spectacular dance style. But there's also merengue and cha-cha and rumba and samba. And each of them has its own rhythm and its own feeling that goes with it. So they're all really interesting. There's also hustle. And uh, they're the country dances, country two-step and nightclub two-step. So every dance has its own feeling. And some people are going to feel feel more drawn to one style than another or more comfortable with one style than another. It's, it's really great. Do you, do you know all of those styles as a professional dancer? Yes. I am not a super advanced dancer, but I have a really solid basics in every single one of those. And, and I feel that when I teach giving people really solid basics There's sort of nothing that can beat that because if you've ever learned something and then had to go back and relearn it because you didn't get it right the first time, it's much harder to relearn something than it is to learn it in the first place. And so I pride myself on giving people a lot of clarity and really good fundamentals when they study with me. Do you have of all of those different um, kind of social dances that you listed, do you have a particular favorite that really captured your heart? I knew you were going to ask that question. Um, I think every dance teacher who teaches a range of styles gets asked that question. And it's sort of like asking somebody, which is your favorite child? You know, (laughs) they're each different and they each excite me in different ways. I will say what I like is being in a situation where I can do a range of dances where there's a mix and it's not just one style all the time. The variety is really great. And I have to say, whatever dance I'm either studying with a really excellent teacher or I'm dancing with another dancer who's really good, that dance at that moment is my favorite. Mm, That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it's very in the moment. Mm Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, you know, on your website, which is, um, if people are just tuning in, we're chatting with Emily Fox, whose website is emilyfoxtrot.com. On your website, you say that humor and patience are your hallmarks. Um, What do you you mean by that? And and why are those kind of important traits for teaching and learning dance? 
Mm, yeah. So people learn best when they're relaxed. That's and very true. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so humor, kind humor, not the kind of humor that's poking fun at somebody, um, is one of the most direct paths to relaxation. And so, <clears throat> excuse me, it also keeps people engaged and it keeps people entertained. And that is really important when you're learning something that requires a lot of repetition, which this kind of dancing really does. Um, I would say that I'm inherently a very funny person. I have kind of an irrepressible sense of humor that's pretty quirky. And my students always comment on this, how much they like it. And I actually think it's one of the reasons that some of my students keep coming back to me year after year, taking all different kinds of dance classes because they think I'm fun to be around. Um, the patience part is people also learn better when they feel the teacher is on their side and not disappointed in their progress or lack of progress. And so, it just feels crucial to me and has been crucial to me as a student, having a, a teacher who clearly is comfortable with my learning pace. And I would say I was very lucky in having a patient father. So I got to see that modeled and I think I take after him that way to a certain extent. Um, also, I've always been drawn to movement styles that require a lot of repetition to learn them, things that are very specific particular. So pretty typical for a young female dancer in this country, I started with ballet. And if you want something repetitive, doing your floor exercises and your bar exercises, the same ones over and over, tons of repetition. And then I went on to study other kinds of dance. And then I got involved in martial arts. And all of that requires hours of practice. So I find that really satisfying. And my personal experience with it gives me respect for what it takes my students to learn and improve. And the other piece is that I am endlessly fascinated by observing human movement. And so watching someone trying to get something and struggling and working, and then they have that light bulb moment where it clicks and seeing that reflected in their body, it's just very exciting to me. So it doesn't even feel like being patient most of the time. It's just what I enjoy doing. Yeah, you're just watching the, the process of the movement and the repetition kind of like clicking for people. Yeah, exactly. And so I know, Emily, that you um, that you really do a lot with um, kind of helping people with their sort of wedding dances. Mm -hmm. What is so I know that, you know, weddings are still happening. It's COVID and pandemic times. <laughs> uh, but what is the what does the wedding dance represent? So that is a great question. And I think there's a foundation and then it branches out into different meanings for different people. You know, for starters, it's a representation of a couple's bond and their connection. And for some folks, it may be the first time that members of their family or some friends have seen them displaying their connection and their affection for each other by being physically close together. So it introduces a new element of the relationship to those that they've invited to come share in their wedding. Um, for some folks, it can represent their ability to succeed in working together on a challenge, a project, 
that took a lot of effort. And I, I will not deny that sometimes people are frustrated when they're learning something complicated. They might be afraid. And how people help each other get through that, it can be a bonding experience for the couple to, to um, succeed together with this. Absolutely. And and when everybody's eyes are watching you and, you know, yeah. there's a lot of social pressure, you know, in those moments, even if all those people pretty much love you and are there to support you, it still can be very anxiety producing to, you know, think oh. that you're going to mess up and, you know, have that very like public display. Oh, yeah. I am a very strong believer. If you think about the whole wedding ceremony, everybody's paying attention to the couple all the time but there are a few specific times when really all the attention is on them so one of them is the ceremony and you have an officiant guiding you through that and another time is the cake cutting and often you have a wedding planner or a caterer helping you there and another time is when you're standing in front of everybody for maybe three minutes dancing all alone on the floor and so getting help before you get to that moment can really transform that from being one of the most terrifying and longest three minutes you've ever lived through into something (laughs) where you're feeling proud and confident and like, you know, you can do something you couldn't do before. So that's another aspect of this that I really encourage people to think about. Emily, tell, tell us a little bit, how, how is dance healing? How, how do you understand that, um, that kind of process of really coming out of the shell? Or, or, you know, like, tell us a little bit about how you understand that to be a, a healing process. Okay. Well, we live in a culture that's very focused on our brains and our thinking. And it's also focused on externals, external stimulus and relating to things outside of us. So I think that any experience that helps us to be more in touch with our bodies is healing. So for people who've never studied dance or martial arts or some kind of sport where you need to pay attention to how your body is moving, just having the encouragement to notice what's going on is really great. So, for example, if you're standing and you're shifting your weight from side to side, from one foot to the other and back again, a lot of people, when you ask them to do that, reflexively have their knees locked, fully extended. And if you just encourage them to release that lock, it's not even as much as bending, it's just unlocking and softening the knees, that makes a profound difference in how they feel and how they look when they move. And, and uh, that, again, brings people more into their bodies, which I think is great. You can also be something like if somebody's alignment of their head is in a position that you can see leading to potential neck pain or headaches or something, just getting a slight rotation of the skull on the top of the neck can open up a whole world of comfort for people and help them be more at peace and at home in their body. And that's, that is healing as well. Um, I also think that for couples, learning to move well together is a a kind of healing in a relationship. You know, there's a very basic rule in partner dance that the leader starts on the left foot and the follower starts on the right foot. Just learning that is enough to get people off to a nice start. It, uh, It heads arguments off at the pass of why aren't we fitting together when we're moving. And there are so many little tips like that that help a couple move in harmony with each other. And that, I think, is a a very healing experience. 
and the other thing is that <clears throat> if people are in fear or anxiety, dance less about dancing either just for themselves or in front of people. Dance lessons can help them move from that kind of discomfort to confidence and perhaps even pleasure. And I think that's one of the greatest kinds of healing that there is. Absolutely. You're kind of moving out of survival mode and into into the body and, and really kind of getting in there. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And so, um, oh, go ahead. I was wondering if I could say uh, something else about the wedding dance and what it represents for people. Yeah, absolutely. Do we have time to go back to that question for a moment? We got time. Tell us what, tell uh, us all your thoughts. Good. Good. <laughs> so one of the things about dance that I love is that it can communicate emotions without language. And it can show the wedding guests things about the relationship of the couple that they might not have known otherwise. So depending on the song that the couple has chosen or the, and the style of dance that goes with that, it can be a representation of the, the vibe of the relationship. So some people do something very elegant. Other people want to be quirky and humorous. Some people want to be very dramatic. And others just want you know, pure romance in their dance. And showing that, sharing that really enhances the feelings and the memories that all of the participants walk away with when the wedding is over, the guests and the couple themselves. And one other thing is that it's not just the wedding couple. I do a lot of work with parents and children. So a mom wants to dance with her son or daughter, a father wants to dance, <clears throat> excuse me, with a son or daughter. And it's just a lovely opportunity to share the kind of sweetness or even bittersweetness of that transition from a child, a person being a child in one family, and then going out and starting on their own being the head of another family. Even if it's, you know, just the couple, they're doing something more individual for themselves. And often people choose really cool songs for those kinds of dances. They're amusing, they're sentimental. Like Mama always told me there'd be days like this by Van Morrison. That's right. Or Kermit, yeah. yeah, or Kermit's Rainbow Connection. I mean, it's just so sweet. Aww. So that's another part of what's really uh held as meaning in the dance as a part of the wedding reception. Yeah, I just watched um, the one of the uh, Dolly Parton uh, documentaries on Netflix, and they were talking oh. about her, um, the song that she wrote, I Will Always Love You, which, mm. you know, has been covered by like so many different people. Um, you know, Whitney Houston was sort of one of the most famous covers of that right. song. But yeah, it was sort of that kind of, um, she talked about how it was just such a pure expression of love. It didn't necessarily mean romantic love, um, but, you know, it really offered uh, parents and children that same kind of, and I was just like, oh, like what a beautiful song to like connect with someone you love over, you know? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, yeah. That's really yeah. special. Um, and so, you know, you I know you really, really specialize because you talked about how um, getting the foundations right and really solid for people is kind of a, a huge part of how you teach. Um, and I know that you work with a lot of people with limited dance experience. So, you know, what are, what are the aspects of working with these folks that you really, really enjoy the most? Well, there are two things that stand out for me. One is that I really love blowing people's minds 
about how much easier it is than they thought it was going to be and how much they can improve with just a little bit of targeted information. So it's not unusual for someone to be dragged in for wedding dance lessons by their partner. And maybe their partner has danced. Maybe they have a fantasy of what their wedding dance is going to look like. But the draggy is dreading the whole thing. Yeah, what do, you, what do you do in that situation when you're the instructor yeah. and one person's like, yeah, and the other person's like, oh my goodness, like, I don't yeah. want to do this. Like, how, right. as a teacher, how do you handle that? Well, part of it is that I'm very non-threatening. And I believe that meeting people where they're at really makes things go better. So I like to find out what somebody's interests are, what their hobbies are, what their work is, and then use analogies related to their interests to convey dance concepts that might be completely foreign to them. So they're feeling seen, they're feeling heard, and so they're much more open to new ideas. And really, it, it does not take much to start going from what a person knows into a smoother form of motion and a more uh, sort of organized way of moving their body. Mm. You know, I cannot tell you how many people have said things like, you know, this is the best part of planning for the wedding. It's the only thing we're actually doing together. I find this relaxing and a relief from all the other chores we have to run around doing. Of course. And I look forward to it. So I know I'm on the right track. And when I see somebody who comes in with, you know, sweat beaded on their upper lip and then they leave grinning from ear to ear, I know I've hit the mark with that person. And usually once you get over that for the first time, it's pretty smooth sailing after that. Yeah. Do people, when those kind of folks come in who are like, you know, really like sweating and they're super nervous and don't know what to anticipate, um, do you feel like there's there's trauma around uh, their past dance experience or past movement experience? Like what is what is the, or is it just disconnection for the body or like what's, what's kind of going on for people before they, that like kind of prevents them from really, uh, you know, embracing trying this new movement? Well, I would say check E all of the above. <laughs> I mean, our culture, A, men are discouraged from dancing. And if they're encouraged to do anything, they're encouraged to do sports. Right. And, and so men might think it's shameful what they're doing. They might be embarrassed about it. They may have started out wanting to dance when they're young and then gotten so shamed or punished for it that they cut off that part of themselves, which I just think is sad. You know, anytime we're cut off from who are our, our, our origin, our, our unique aspects of ourselves, we lose something really, really important there. Um, and and you never know what kind of uh, not great teaching people might have experienced before. But this leads directly into the other thing I wanted to say, which is that there are many people out there who harbor a secret desire to dance. And they've had that secret desire for 20, 30, 40, 50 years. And either they believe they can't or they have been told that they're not any good. Aww. And often when I ask them, have you ever taken lessons? They say no. And it gives me so much pleasure to point out that there are things that they're very competent at 
And they weren't born knowing how to do those things. They had to learn them. Of course. Nobody comes out of the womb knowing how to do this stuff. So education makes a difference. Absolutely. And I feel like a lot of dance studios are very catered to children, you know, and yeah. so there sometimes if even if you start looking, you know, the first, you know, three, four like search results might just be for kids. And then, you know, if you don't find something right away, if you're already feeling hesitant and you're already yeah. kind of pushing past those boundaries, that that itself might dissuade people from, you know, being like, well, I, I can't I couldn't find anything. <laughs> Yes, you know, that reminds me, I think one of the greatest inventions in the dance world in the past, I don't know when this started, but adult ballet classes, because I know friends who always wanted to do ballet and they never did. And when they started, they were there at age, you know, 30, 40, whatever, with all these 10 year olds. And it took a lot of willpower to keep going in those situations. But now there's lots of adult dance classes. Yeah, like bar, isn't that one of them? The the bar exercise classes? So it's not strictly dance education, but it is activity that's taken from uh, bar exercises. And boy, it will get you strong so that you do really well in a dance class. It's a very effective system. That's that's good to know. I haven't been to bar, but I have heard that it is it is uh, a very, you know, there it's a lot of work. <laughs> it's hard work. <laughs> when you do it correctly, you will walk out shaking all over your whole body. Yeah. That's what I can tell you about bar. You're going to get strong real fast. Oh yeah. Oh, That's yeah. great. Um, so if you're just tuning in, you're listening to WXOJ, LP, uh, Valley Free Radio, um, and we're chatting with Energy Fo- um, Emily Fox on Energy Matters. And um, Emily, how did uh, how did you get into dance? Like, when, what was your first, uh, I know you kind of mentioned that like ballet was your, your kind of first, the first dance practice. Um, but what kind of, was somebody, did somebody sign you up for, for dance? <laughs> um, was it something that you were like, mom, I really want to do this? Like, how did, how did you fall into um, to dance? Well, I think I was born wanting to dance. And I took a bunch of little kids running around with hoops and scarves kind of classes when I was very, very young. And then I heard about ballet. I knew what it was. And that became my mission to take ballet lessons. And let's just say my mother was not in favor of the idea. And I've never found out what her resistance was, but it was truly my first act of willpower and persistence to grind her down until she let me take ballet lessons. Yeah, and then once, once she was open to that, then I went on and took modern dance. It was mostly ballet and modern when I was young. And then when I got older, I did some tap. And then I was lucky enough to land in the Pioneer Valley because here for decades and decades, there's been a very strong partner dance culture, all different kinds of dance. And I was uh, I was just lucky enough to start taking some classes and it was like, where has this been all my life? It was just so fun taking something that I already knew how to do, which was move my body the way somebody told me I should, but then to do it with another person and have it be like a conversation based only in movement 
it it just it changed my life. It completely changed my life. Yeah. And also, like, you don't need an audience to, uh, to perform, you know, I feel like, you know, with it with the social dancing, you're you're there, like you said, for like the pleasure of dance, it doesn't necessarily have to be performance based, or, you know, have have any kind of um, competition around it. It's it's just like, just a lot of people getting together to, um, to, you know, be in their bodies and, and to move and to do their thing. Yes, and I would add to that that there are people, there are hundreds of people in this area who have taken dance classes. The harpoon has gone in and they become addicted to social dance and they meet other people and there are these uh, friendship groups that have formed. And in those groups, people appreciate each other for the development of their skill set, which I just think it's the opposite of competition in a way. It's like you go. You didn't used to be able to do that. You've improved so much. It's just a wonderful experience. Oh, that's so great. Um, what What was the moment that you really knew that you wanted to bring this into your professional life? That you were like, no, I, I'm good at this. I love it. Like, I want to do this. Like, what was that? Um, like, how did you know? Um, that's a really good question. So I, hmm, it, it's, uh, let I, me say, I stumped her. Also, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I um, I also teach another kind of dance that's not really related to social dance. It's called Shake Your Soul, and okay. it's a group movement class. And I actually trained to be a facilitator of those classes back in the late '90s. And I started teaching those classes before I started teaching partner dance. And so I've, I've heard of shake your soul before in in the healing arts world, I've I've heard of shake your soul uh, movement based classes before. Yeah. So I think that got me used to the idea of being in front of people and leading people through some kind of experience. And then I learned the majority, well, all of the dance that I learned at the beginning was through a studio that is no longer in existence here called paradise dance. And um, I kept bugging Deborah, the owner of it, to uh, be allowed to teach there. And she didn't feel I was ready for a long, long time. And then she finally did. And uh, so I started teaching there. And it's it's just been go, go, go ever since then. One opportunity led to another after another. And I think I am a natural teacher. I care about my students a great deal. I really like being clear in imparting information. And it's just kind of a mutual, this is a great thing uh, event when I'm teaching. So I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah, it does. I mean, in retrospect, do you feel like you knowing all the things that you know now about teaching and about, you know, kind of like guiding people through the process? um, Do you do you think knowing all these things now that you were ready when you thought that you were ready? Or do you think that that uh, instructor at the time felt like holding holding you back was valid? Oh, it was completely valid. You know that expression, you don't know how much you don't know? (laughs) Yeah. 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 Absolutely. I just, I was not um, broad enough in what I knew, and I I could go on and on, but I think she waited till the right time, and I really appreciate that, because it would have been even more terrifying than it was when I started, had I 
not had as much under my belt. Yeah. Well, you know, it's it's interesting because I remember when I first started my Reiki practice, I had no idea. Like, I mean, I was I had taken a, a Reiki one workshop, which was basically a weekend, and I fell in love. <laughs> with, I fell in love with the healing arts. I just loved that energy so much. I love how it made me feel, and I was just like, yeah, like I'm gonna do this. So I pretty much opened up shop right away. You know, there's no wow. um, kind of like national certifications and things like that, and it's it's an energy that can do no harm. So really, you know, I kind of I was like yeah let's just do this but it's it's funny because like I had I had that fire you know and I yeah. had that determination but like 10 years into my teaching career for Reiki it's like I I learned a lot as I went along you know oh yeah oh yeah I think everybody does I think that's the nature of being be- a beginning teacher in whatever field you're in it's just part of the the process yeah what are what are some of the the um, one or two of the lessons that you've learned along the way about about the art of teaching? Oh boy, that's a really good question. Okay, so I tend to be an overly serious person, and I constantly have to remind myself that people are doing this for fun, right. and that <laughs> I need to bring the fun part of me there to class as well as the part that wants everybody to really get this right. You know, starting off in ballet, my teacher in ballet was a Balanchine dancer, and she was a very pleasant person, but we did not mess around. And so that's the beginning of my learning of the culture of studying dance, that you're serious, you're quiet, you pay attention to the teacher, and that is not what adult social dance is about. So that's an ongoing lesson for me. Absolutely. Do you have, um, was there, was there like, I know you kind of mentioned your, your very first teacher, your ballet teacher. Um, what did you have? Can you tell me a little bit about some of your other dance teachers that really influenced you along the way? Yeah. Um, so the first person who really changed my life pretty profoundly is Deborah Cohen. She's the person who started Paradise Dance, started out as Gotta Dance, then became Paradise. And she provided something that hadn't existed in this area before, which was a place where you could come, I think, five nights a week and take dance lessons in any one of a number of dance styles that I mentioned at the beginning of this interview and more. And you could take three dance lessons a night, et cetera. So she created a structure for learning. And for me as a teacher, she, she is the consummate educator. She has an incredible analysis and ability to articulate the fine points of anything that she's teaching. So when my students appreciate my clarity in teaching, I'm always doing a mental tipping of the hat to Deborah because I learned that from watching her and from taking her classes. Yeah. And also knowing like what a very serious uh, kind of like strict classroom space feels like versus, uh, you know, having that contrast as well, you know, kind right. of bringing that lightness and a little bit more playfulness into those spaces. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, so if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Energy Matters, and we're chatting today with Emily Fox, who's a local dance instructor. Um, you know, I know that everything is a little bit different right now with the pandemic, but um, how, <laughs> I mean, a lot different, let's be honest. Um, and of course, dance requires touching. So can you tell us a little bit about what, um, what's kind of going on with, uh, you know, with, with everything for your, for your business and, and um, teaching? 
Right. Well, my teaching has basically ground to a halt at this point. I am doing a a virtual Shake Your Soul class through the Holyoke Senior Center. Um, but other than that, I have been doing virtually no teaching. Um, a few weeks ago, some people got in touch with me and I gave them a, a mother-son lesson. It happened to be a nice day, and so we did it outdoors. But obviously, the weather's not going to be conducive for that much longer. Right, right, um, right. And also, I had a couple who'd won a raffle lesson with me from a bridal show I'd been at. And I was in California, and they were here in Westfield, and I taught them a very basic lesson online. And I was not sure how that was going to go, but it actually went really well. So I've considered that that might be an option of something that I might pursue. But really, the partner dance world has kind of... Uh, dried up for the most part. There are some places where people are dancing outdoors, but uh, people are mostly pining for the opportunity to dance with each other and counting the days until we really have something better going on. Yeah, getting back to just just hoping and looking forward to things and writing those things down on a list and putting that list somewhere visible. <laughs> exactly. And I think all of us are going to appreciate the opportunity to dance. I mean, everybody loves it who's into this, but I I imagine I'll be kissing the floor of a dance studio I go in, you know, when I finally get to go somewhere. Yeah. Um, Emily, can you tell us a little bit about um, the Shake Your Soul um, classes that you're doing? Can you just tell us a little bit about what that is for people who might not be familiar with, um, with all of that? Sure. Do you want to know the pre-pandemic version or the during the pandemic version? Um, maybe a little bit of both. We've got about 10 minutes, okay. so we can kind of, sure. you know, give people an idea about how it started and what it looks like for classes sure. now. Yeah. Um, yes. Shake Your Soul grew out of a kind of movement called Kripalu Dance Kinetics that was developed in, I think, the early 90s out of Kripalu. And there were four people who originated it. And then each person went off and kind of did their own thing. And one of them is Daniel Levin. And he has named his version Shake Your Soul. And he did a very interesting thing by combining his thoughts about this group movement experience with the work of Bonnie Bainbridge Cohen, who developed Body Mind Centering. And so there's an underpinning and structure to this work that's really about health, uh, but you would never know it if you didn't know that was going on. And so it's a group movement class that has a loose structure, but no two classes are identical. And we use world music and uh, sometimes pop music. And it's very much about having a chance to within the structure of having somebody model something or guide you through something, pay attention to what your body and psyche and spirit need in the moment and letting yourself move with that. And it's a very emotionally cleansing experience and uh, relaxing experience. I call it rejuvenation and relaxation at the same time. And people who come and do this a lot, again, a community forms and people are happy and, and uh, comfortable moving with each other. Um, and now that we're not allowed to do these things in person anymore, uh, it's an interesting experience. I take classes and I've taught classes where 
the teacher is alone in a space with a, a laptop with a webcam on them and then people sign in via zoom and then it's either like uh hollywood squares the brady bunch with seeing everybody in their kitchens and living rooms or yep. whatever <laughs> dancing along and there's some technical magic that happens with zoom and spotify and sound systems you know all of us movers who don't necessarily have a big tech background have had to take a big step up in figuring out how to make something come across to a group of people out in the world. Of course. And so if somebody's sort of a um, you know, a fly on the wall, what what would that class look like? I mean, is it more free form dancing? Um, how do people really connect with that aspect, that area of their body and then kind of move with that? How do they what's that what's that process like? Right. Um, these classes are pretty guided, but you can do your own thing within that guidance. So there's usually a stretching, breathing, meditative component at the beginning just to kind of ground yourself. And then there's different movement qualities that we do. Some are very uh, sort of slow and muscular and sinuous. Some are loose and shaking and wobbling around. Some of them excuse me, are very almost percussive with the body, like uh, African dancing. And so somebody is, uh, you have an opportunity to kind of try all these different things, but you don't have to do it the way the teacher is doing, especially if you're in a completely different room from them and you think that's not working for me. You just modify for whatever your body or your emotions would prefer. Hmm, I like that. I mean, it's yeah. it's kind of hard to conceptualize. Uh, you know, it, it's I guess it's one of those things, like you said, it's very, very guided. So uh, you have to take the class to, to explore that, what that means. Right. And there is some free form as a part of it where the instructor will just put on a song that they think is particularly evocative in some way and say, this song is for you. You do whatever you feel like to this piece. So it's a mix. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so Emily, what, what do you have coming, coming up? Is there, do you have any, um, any kind of, uh, yeah, tell us about what, what's uh, coming up in your, in your, in your world? Well, I really have nothing scheduled at this point. I did just get a lovely phone call from a gentleman in Nebraska who has a son out here who's getting married next October. And he said, I hope things are going to be good enough by then that, they can take advantage of some lessons I want to give them. So people are starting to look ahead farther out. But uh, other than these uh, Shake Your Soul classes for the Senior Center, I have nothing scheduled at this point. And I'm just hoping that either virtually or through some kind of, you know, medical intervention that makes a big difference for us, that we'll be having more opportunities coming up. That sounds that sounds good. Something to, to look forward to. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and how can people find you? Are you on social media or how? What's the easiest people to, to find out more about what you do? I uh, I think my website is really the best way because I have a lot of information there. I'm probably going to be posting this interview there once it's uh, recorded. But my website is www dot emilyfoxtrot.com and 
there's both a lot of information and there are contact forms in there. So if somebody wants to know something, they can just reach out to me through that. And I also uh, have a number where people can call me or text me. And that number is 413-437-0474. Perfect. And um, Emily, do you have any last words of wisdom that you would like to throw out into the universe? Yes. Um, I want to say that if you out there listening in radio land have ever thought, huh, that looks interesting to me, that dance thing people are doing, that really you should give it a try. Um, I've heard some people say, if you can count to eight and you can walk, and I don't mean to be cutting out people who are not mobile on their feet, but specifically, if you can walk and count to eight, you've got the basics because most music unless you're doing waltzes in bars of eight music and so if you add in a good teacher and your own persistence and willingness to practice you will get there you will get there and you'll have probably more fun than you could possibly imagine mm-hmm. doing so mm, that sounds very alluring i love it yeah Aww. Um, well, again, if anyone um, wants to find out a little bit more information, you can always go to emilyfoxtrot.com and check out a little bit more about what she's doing. And there's there's a lot of beautiful photography on there and all kinds of all kinds of interesting things. So, and if you're just tuning in at the end of this interview um, and you'd like to hear a little bit more, um, you can always catch this interview if you're a podcast listener. Um, the this episode will be posted uh, next Friday or um, on my website as well, uh, which is uh, Reiki northampton.com backslash radio dash archives um and again all these episodes are are posted one week later so um so thank you so much emily for for coming on the show and and sharing all about your your world of movement and you know kind of the healing that can really come from um being grounded in our bodies and and connecting Mm. to how how we want to move and kind of giving that a little bit of little social structure at the same time Oh, yeah. This was a deep pleasure for me. Thank you for having me on the show. You're very, very welcome. Very welcome. Um, So have a great weekend, everyone, and be well.